0: Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me today is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm back
0: again. I keep disappearing and reappearing,
1: but I'm, I'm back
0: for a while now.
1: Welcome back to Otakon. Thank you. Uh, had a good time.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to Otakon. Welcome back from Otakon. Otakon yes. never ends. You're in our lovely country. I'm uh, appreciating Japanese culture, I suppose. Uh Sure. You, apparently you're all about that cosplay life. That's what Mike Williams was saying.
1: <laughs> cosplay is actually quite new to me. Um, I guess I've been doing it for a few years, but for many years I attended, I, I didn't do cosplay. But uh, I, I have like a few like really easy-to-put-together cosplays that I do. I'm, I'm definitely amateur hour.
0: <laughs> no, you're not, Nadia. Aww. There's nothing about you that's amateur hour. Aww. I think it's funny. It's like you and Mike always go to Otakon. What people might not know is that Mike has a fairly big role on a regular basis over at Otakon, helping to organize and everything. Yes, he does. And you consistently go, and you two have never met up. (laughs) I know.
1: I kind of feel bad about this, but I figured this year, well, we'll be meeting up at PAX West, so that'll be be pretty cool. But also this year, he he seemed really busy, so I didn't want to disturb him.
0: Any good RPG-related cosplay or things that you saw there? Oh, there's always
1: tons of really good uh, RPG cosplay. Um, I didn't get to attend the Final Fantasy photo shoot because I was too busy, but uh, gosh, last year I saw like a perfect friend from Final Fantasy XII, and I just went ballistic. That was fantastic.
0: Oh, man, that sounds really hot. <laughs> it was pretty hot, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I, think, I, I think my favorite Final Fantasy cosplay of 2018 is all the people who dressed up as the blocky characters from Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's great. I know, it was incredible. I I really liked it. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, while you've been gone, I've been playing the best RPG of the year. Madden? No. Fire <laughs> Emblem Heroes. Help, oh. Nadia. I can't escape. I'm addicted to this game. The reason why you're
1: always decrying it is because you knew you'd be addicted if you uh, if you tried it. The thing is, is
0: that it's actually a pretty good game. There mm-hmm. are layers, like an onion. And... I can spend all of my time collecting characters and coming up with interesting builds that maximize their potential and interesting team concepts. Uh-huh. That's all I need with good art. That's all I need. Seriously. It, it does it have some cute nice it. art. It's easy to play. It's fun. It's surprisingly challenging. It's also a major time sink. And if you're not careful, a money sink.
1: Yeah, uh, it's definitely a money sink. Have you spent any money yet?
0: Maybe. <laughs> I, I may have dumped, like, 40 bucks into it. Holy shit.
1: <laughs> nice. That's, That's not that
0: much. Like No, just the price of a regular game. I think about people who are playing Madden Ultimate Team right now, and it's very common for them to dump hundreds upon hundreds of dollars into the bundles that come out over the weekends.
1: Okay, so you're not as far gone as they are.
0: No, I, they're crazy. <laughs> they're flat out <laughs> You're crazy. nothing like them. They're just sitting on streams opening bundles. That's the whole thing. With, I mean, Fireblum you can you, you can get orbs really, relatively fast if yeah. you just do the regular content on a daily basis. It's just, you know, there is a psychological hook where if you, like, you will be like, okay, I got like 40 orbs. I'm just going to go dump them into a whole bunch of characters and see what I get. Yeah. When you run out you feel almost a compulsion to go and buy more orbs so you can keep going. Well, that's how they get you. I
1: and mean, it's, it's actually also... really scary. Well, it's also that compulsion to get your favorite character, too.
0: Yeah. Though I had a moment. Uh, I was specifically gunning for one character. I had enough for one more draw, and I got them. Whoa. Who was it? It was Fallen Robin. Fallen Robin, is... Really? A robin possessed by this crazy ancient fell dragon.
1: Yeah, that was from Awakening, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Wow, that sounds kind of cool, actually, I have to admit.
0: They are a dragon armored unit and crazy strong. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I've also really lucked out with a lot of the characters I've gotten. I've managed to get like legendary Ike. Is like Ike, who's like super powerful. I managed to get Brave Lynn from the original Fire Emblem Blazing mm-hmm. that came out in the GBA. She's like on horseback with a sweet bow and arrow and stuff. And oh, that's cool. I got this Blue Mage. I don't know what game she's from, but she has a cute owl sitting on her head now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's all that matters.
0: And Cecilia from I don't know. I think she's from one of the old. Oh, she's from Fire Emblem 6, which never came out here.
1: Yeah, her name's familiar, but I don't remember her specifically.
0: Yeah, so what people, most people don't re- realize is that when Fire Emblem came out on GPA, it was actually a prequel mm-hmm. to Fire to a game that came out in Japan and only came out in Japan. That was Fire Emblem 6. Right, right, because that's when we were introduced to Roy. Yes, Roy is the son of Eliwood, who is the star of the Fire Emblem that came out here. Right, right. So you see all the characters from Fire Emblem here, but they're old in that game. Mm-hmm. And so, and you're fighting, uh, the villain is just a kid in <laughs> the version that we came over here. Like the final cutscene that you see in the GBA version that came out here is, uh, the kid that you saved turning out to be evil. And you're like, Oh no, what a oh, twist. What a twist. So yeah. I, I, so, uh, maybe I might have during retro game expo last year purchased, uh, from a third-party dealer, a cartridge with a localized version of Fire Emblem 6 on it. Uh, no which judgment is probably here. probably highly illegal. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> eh. What are you going to do? Well, I mean, I also bought... So Here's the thing. I also bought it in Japan. Oh, I okay. owned the Japanese version as well. I just wanted the lo- English localized version, so... I think you're legit,
1: then. What are you going to... Somewhat Ooh. legit. Uh, yeah. Half legit. Gray market. <laughs>
0: Chris Kohler posted a big article, and Frank Sefaldi was about this too, when Emu Paradise shut down. Ah, uh, yeah. They were pointing out that from a game preservation standpoint, a lot of these games simply not available except in ROM form. I agree. Yes. Um, and a lot of these emulation people are like the unsung heroes of retro game development because so much work is based on the incredibly hard work they do to get these emulators perfect.
1: Yeah, I agree. And uh, frankly, given how bad Nintendo is at preserving their own legacy, I, I'm i kind of irritated about the whole Emmy Paradise thing shutting down.
0: Yeah. I, I think the bummer is, like, I would buy a lot of these games if they were more readily available. Of course, I I'm, would do. Like, I own a, an NES Classic and an SNES Classic. I just bought Mega Man X Legacy Collection on my Switch. Right. I have a ton of virtual console games, but... Games like Fire Emblem 6 just aren't readily available, and often I'm buying these games secondhand, so the money is not even making it over to uh, the original creators anyway. It's no, just...
1: exactly. I mean, I my first option is uh, I will buy something legit, because whatever, I'm an adult, I have money, I can do it. Uh, I'd much rather play something... You know that's been standardized for the Switch and or, or the whatever, and play that instead of going ROM hunting and maybe risking my computer with some virus. But the f- fact of the matter is, there's as you said, there are a lot of these games. There's no other place that they exist.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's so getting back to Fire Emblem Heroes, the only thing that I think is a little bit of a bummer is that it puts a ton of emphasis on the games that have come out, mm-hmm. which is sort of fine because. I mean, obviously, people are going to want the characters that they know best. Exactly, especially over here. But at the same time, it's like we have five, we have at least three variations of Ike. We have like three or four variations of every single character. Yeah. Including variations in like Easter costumes, Christmas <laughs> costumes, in bikinis and swimwear. I mean, that's got gotcha games. Outside of the original Fire Emblem. Uh, mystery of the emblem with marth you're not you the characters that came out that did not come out here don't get a lot of love sadly
1: no they they don't and i have to say that when i played for as long as i played i got like 50 croms and it was like Naughty oxford and too many croms
0: <laughs> i could use a crom right now because the way this game works is to build up a character you need to inherit skills from other characters right And Chrom has a very useful ability called Either, which uh, is a very good defensive uh, power-up ability. But I'm not willing to dump all the resources needed to promote him to the level that I can get that ability. Right. yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like all of the mechanics are dependent on dumping in orbs and getting more characters so that you can either dust them or get skills from them or use them.
1: Yeah, it's just so mobile game or like just the just the way you describe it and you know I did play the game so I know what it's like it's just like every other mobile game out there except with the fire emblem skin which makes it very very attractive.
0: I will say this, it has made me kind of want to pick up and finally finish the third uh fire emblem awakening game. So I really got to play that. Not awakening, uh so there's Birthright yeah. Conquest and Revelation. That's right. I finished Conquest. I got really far in Birthright, and I never picked up Revelation. But apparently, that's kind of the the complete story. That's the canonical one.
1: Yeah, yeah. I got to play all three of them. Hell,
0: yeah, it's it's pretty intense. It, it, I I really recommend Conquest. Conquest is really good. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I ideally I'd love to play. I'd start with like I don't know maybe Birthright, then move on to Conquest, then uh, get the uh, the last one.
0: Yeah. I mean that's kind of how it goes. Um I like the Hoshidans better than I like the the characters from I think they're from Nor or whatever in Conquest. The Hoshidans are just more fun. They have a different look to them than your standard Fire Emblem look. Mm-hmm. More ancient Japan than fantasy Europe. Right. But Birthright is very clearly for beginners. And as such, the maps and such, and, and the difficulty level, it's just not as interesting as Conquest, ultimately. Conquest is for more advanced players, and it can get pretty pretty tough at times, and yeah. I like that.
1: Yeah, I like how it's kind of broken up like that. So I'd probably just start with Birthright and then move on and uh, just kind yeah. of get myself warmed up again because it's been a while since I played a, a good Fire Emblem game.
0: Yeah, I was kind of hard on the... I was kind of hard on the uh the remake that came out last year oh shadows of Valencia. yeah that game maybe is a little better than i gave it credit for but it's also extremely dense and mm-hmm. i still stand by the idea the the fact that the waves of enemies that you have to chop through to get to the caster is kind of bullshit <laughs>
1: yeah yeah um i'd still love to see more remakes in that style though
0: Oh, yeah, no, it was a great... It was, from a production standpoint, phenomenal. hmm Yeah, I really liked that. Um, I'm really looking forward to Fire Emblem on the Switch, too.
1: Oh, so am I. I think I wrote about that when we first saw a glimpse of it. at It was E3, wasn't it? I almost forgot after all the Switch... Yeah, uh, we only Smash got cards. a glimpse
0: of it. I really want to actually see it.
1: Yeah. I'm really hoping to, to get a hands-on with it sooner than later.
0: Yeah, it'd be nice if they did a Nintendo Direct, say, in November, and, like, properly revealed it, and then we got, like, a March release date. Mm-hmm. Oh, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah. So, okay. Speaking of Fire Emblem, a classic tactical RPG. Will it be on the top 25 RPG countdown? I don't know. Uh, so let's talk about a little bit about what we're going to go through today on the podcast. Uh, but speaking of retro RPGs, and that's not a hard segue <laughs> in light of, you know, whatever. Somebody sent me an email, Nadia. hmm And it really got me thinking. And so... Uh, I, I want to read you this email really All right, this is from Eric Miller, and Eric says, Hey, Kat and Nadia, your top RPG list has got me thinking about some of my favorite RPGs of the PS1, PS2 era, like FF9, Dragon Quest VIII, Tales of Symphonia. And I realized something about them that just got me thinking. Pretty much all of these games have a huge amount of unique towns, dungeons, and locations to visit, at least in comparison to most modern JRPGs time was, every JRPG worth its salt would have a town and or dungeon base on every biome known to man, including some fi- fantasy ones as well, and in towns you could get pretty much every building in the town to chat with the NPCs, look for items, or just see the interior of houses and such. It seems like more modern RPGs tend to have a lot fewer places to visit, but have them to be larger and more expansive instead. This is nice, but I sort of miss having just a sheer amount of unique and interesting locations to visit, as in RPGs past. Do you think this is just due to budgets and the switch to HD gaming, or is there more to it than that? It seems like the level of detail entering each and every house and building, for example, just isn't around anymore. Dungeons suffer from this, too, where it feels like a lot of JRPGs I've played recently haven't had dungeons that really feel unique, or have interesting mechanics solely for that dungeon, like puzzles, gimmicks, etc., where I feel like that used to be the norm. The only real JRPG I can think of that nails dungeons in that way is Persona 5. Anyway, what do you think? And more broadly, are there any elements or features that used to be much more uncommon common common in RPGs that you miss these days? Nadia, that got me thinking. Uh Uh-oh. And I decided to do a list. I did a list. We're going to do a top five, five things that we miss from old RPGs. Okay, you ready? Yes. No particular order. Here's number one for me, okay? Mm Hmm. Overworld. Why yes. the hell don't we have overworlds anymore? I miss overworlds, Nadia.
1: Overworlds are, are quite gone, aren't they? They're they're uh you're right. And I miss them too.
0: Even in games that have ostensibly have overworlds, they're kinda of disappointingly. Like, you know Kudi too. Disappointing overworld. Yeah, that was a that was an an overworld, I guess. I suppose. Dragon Quest Eleven doesn't have an overworld either.
1: No, uh I can't really say much, but not th- not other than what we've seen. Uh, not in the traditional sense. Um it's very much uh not quite an open world, either. It's more like Dragon Quest VIII.
0: You know what I really liked about overworlds, Nadia? Mm-hmm. I liked... First of all, I liked the scope, the sense of scope that they imparted. Yes. The feeling that you are exploring this big world.
1: Yes. Yes, and I think that... I don't know if it was on this podcast or another podcast I was on recently where we talked about Final Fantasy VII's overworld, and the first time you step out into Mid- out of Midgar into that overworld, it's just like... I finally got a sense of just how big that game was because it's like, wow, to me, Midgar at the time was huge and to have it be only a tiny part of this game and you step out into the overworld for the first time and like you see, okay, here's a more traditional RPG in front of me and I was just looking, really looking forward to exploring everything. That really blew my mind at the time.
0: Yeah, and another thing about overworlds I, I think the thing with overworlds is it's almost like Indiana Jones <laughs> where you have <laughs> the little dots that are tracing their way to the next country that they're going to. Oh, yes. I mean, which is fine. I, I think that's a, a good look. And often overworlds have the best music in the game.
1: Yeah, Hello, Chrono Trigger.
0: Yeah, I mean, Final Fantasy VI, Final, Final Fantasy Seven, both had excellent overworld themes. Uh, yeah. I don't Final know Fantasy IX is great, too. It. They're a great grinding opportunity. Mm-hmm. They are. I, I remember the first time... That I played an RPG where the overworld, as we kind of knew it, disappeared. Uh Uh-huh. That was Final Fantasy X. Right. And how jarring it was when I was like, pick your next location from a menu. Yeah, I've never been a fan of that style, ever. I mean, it was so much more satisfying to get out in an airship and fly around, right? Because that was how you knew you were well into the game. When you suddenly had access to any point on the map because you're flying around on it. And it was yes. cool to fly around in your ship.
1: Yeah, and then, like, you, you kind of, most RPGs at the time would kind of lead really do into it with baby steps. Like, you'd start with a ship and then you get your airship.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, overworlds. That's number one. I miss overworlds and I wish that they could be done well. You know, Kuni 2, I, I, I found the, the art shift really jarring. Yeah. And I didn't like their stupid uh, tactical. Uh, I really didn't like
1: that. I tried. I just, it was like just me throwing people at more people, and it was just, there was no strategy to it, even though it tried to give you strategy.
0: I don't think overworlds are coming back, though, because it seems like RPG designers tend to favor the more interconnected feeling of just being able to run over wide open planes while, without having to shift the perspective.
1: Which I kind of like that, too, but I am a little nostalgic for overworlds, definitely.
0: Maybe it just doesn't work as well. I mean... Let's see, Octopath Traveler, even Octopath Traveler doesn't really have an overworld.
1: No, it's more like areas linked to one another.
0: Which is fine, I guess, but it does make the world feel a little slower, uh, smaller. And oddly, it feels more annoying to get from place to place. Yeah, although you can fast
1: travel between towns and Octopath. That's
0: true. Fast traveling became a thing. Maybe yeah. fast traveling... Fast uh, travel... Obsolete. will kill but you. But not only that, like I think you see fewer RPGs doing the quote unquote RPG road trip. Yes. Like Final
1: Fantasy VII was a road trip, right? Oh, yeah, well, so was Final Fantasy XV technically, but.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, no, but a lot of a lot of games will have you, like in Witcher Three, you're traveling, but it's you're just opening up a new section of the map and then. Uh you're not necessarily on a road trip but
1: yeah. yeah, the old the old Dragon Quest games really gave you that road trip feel with the caravan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. Oh my god. Anyway, number 2, Nadia. Mm. Are you ready? Yes. Larger party sizes. Yeah. You know, everyone Final Fantasy 7 came out, everybody complained about the fact that it could only support 3 party members. Yes. Who knew that that would pretty much become the norm?
1: Yeah, I guess it did. Um, Final Fantasy Nine. We went back to four for a while, but uh, that slowed down the game a bit.
0: Octopath Traveler has how many characters? I mean, four. Octopath Traveler supports four, right? Yeah, I think four became kind of the norm in a lot of places. Um, for people who like PC RPGs, four feels tiny. I guess it would. Yeah. A tyranny came out. Tyranny. Don't get me wrong. That's not a bad game. It's from Obsidian. Uh, That was a four-person party. And when you have a four-person party composition, you necessarily end up in a situation where at least two slots are taken up by a healer Mm -hmm. and some kind of tank. And then you have two more slots to try and figure something out, and it's not the greatest
1: yeah, that's actually one thing that surprised me a bit about Etrian Odyssey 5 when I played that. It was my first Etrian Odyssey game. Uh, six party members, that was that's new for me. Uh, I haven't played that since Suikoden.
0: Yeah, six party members. Uh, see, if I recall correctly, Pillars of Eternity had six part, uh, character slots, okay. five or six character slots, and that was deliberately a throwback, and I really liked that. And yet developers seem to not like it as much because they feel like players like characters get lost or players get overwhelmed by the amount of micromanagement that is required
1: right uh to be honest for me four was always uh, ideal because i really kind of cut my teeth on final fantasy six and that of course was four
0: hmm i think five is the perfect number five is also a
1: very good number it's very easy to use um Four, Final Fantasy 4 uses five party members of course and I never really had a problem managing that either but to me, in my head, I think four, but that's me
0: being a console trash Weirdly party-based party, party based RPGs aren't as common as I would like Hmm. I mean they're, they exist, but I feel like some of the most popular RPGs like Fallout and Witcher are single character RPGs
1: Yeah, and sometimes with a companion
0: Yeah, and I'm not the biggest fan of that one of the reasons that I had a hard time getting into, I don't know, Witcher 3 initially was it was just one character and it's just this kind of a straight up action game, right? Right. And it took me a long time to really come to grips with and appreciate the story mm-hmm. and the, the scope of the world and playing as the character of Geralt. I would much rather fiddle around with party composition, uh, customizable characters... Uh, I I like the feeling, as you were saying, of traveling in a caravan. Right. But I think so many RPGs now are kind of action-oriented that they are deliberately going for that single character, you-are-alone-in-a-massive-world kind of feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nadia, you were very adamant about this one, so I'm going to (laughs) let you say number three. Numero 3, I really, really miss crazy
1: sprite work like we got on the PlayStation with games like, uh, again, In, Suikoden 2, and Breath of Fire 3.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about Suikoden 2. Well, okay, so our friend uh, Robert Boyd just put out his game, Cosmic Star Heroin, on the Nintendo Switch this past Yay. week.
1: congratulations. Yeah,
0: congratulations uh, to you, Robert. Uh, I know that we were slightly down on Cosmic Star Heroine, Uh, when we were talking about it in our last RPG report. But I feel like that game's kind of perfect for Switch.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, to be fair, we did bring up how we both felt it would be a perfect game for a portable system, the Switch being the ideal one. So I would, I have no problem recommending it.
0: And that game had phenomenal sprite work. It did.
1: It has phenomenal sprite work, and I was really glad to see that attention to detail with sprites. Uh, I still, once in a while, go back to watching... I think it's called Reminiscence, the Suikoden 2, one of the Suikoden 2 intros, and it's just, the sprite work in that just makes me want to cry, because I know I'll never see anything like that again.
0: Yeah, tremendous sprite work. I mean, you see, it's made a comeback. For a time, mm-hmm. it was kind of a lost art, I want to say. It was, man, you know what would be amazing? If Arc System Works made an RPG.
1: <laughs> I'd be okay with that.
0: Or if somebody contracted Arc System Works to do the art for an RPG. Mm Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. The Indivisible folks have incredible sprites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I am so pumped for their game. I am
1: very looking forward to that.
0: Spiritual successor to Valkyrie Profile?
1: Hell, yeah. Yeah, you're set.
0: Yeah, totally all set. Uh, So I, I sort of feel like crazy, amazing sprites are... It's not a completely lost art. No. It's just not as common in your uh, big-budget RPGs, I mean, if you look at some of the most popular RPGs right now, I mean Witcher 3, Persona 5, Nier Automata, uh, Fallout, etc. are all obviously big-budget 3D games. Mm Mhm. Yeah, so. And then a game like Octopath Traveler, or Bravely Default, is necessarily lower-budget, so you're not going to have Quite as much detail into it, and I know Bravely Default's not a sprite-based game, but Octopath Traveler, yeah, <laughs> if we just had this big old argument about the sprites and everything. I maintain that they are not as good-looking as in as perhaps I would have liked in other games because it's on a budget. That's fine.
1: Well, the, I still say the sprites uh, for the enemies and uh, especially the bosses are fantastic. But yes, I would ideally love to see a, a follow-up to that that uses that 32-bit style. Uh, with the more expressive animated sprites of that age.
0: Yeah, I agree. But uh, more to the point, the kind of game that would be a sprite-based game is on a budget. They don't get all the money like Chrono Trigger would. Mm -hmm. And games are more expensive to make now. Oh
1: boy, are they ever.
0: And that's why we just don't see uh, as much, unless you really luck out and get an amazing indie developer or something, you're just not as likely to see phenomenal sprite work.
1: No, unfortunately.
0: Sigh. Okay, number four. This is... Did you ever play games with feelies? Uh, I always
1: wanted to. Uh, I think the only one I have is Star Control 2. I have the original 3, 486 version that came with a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, But I know that uh, Working Designs was famous for feelies back in the day.
0: Uh, so this is not RPG specific. But I think back to the days when I was playing on PC... And games like Warcraft and Starcraft and the TIE Fighter games always came with incredible source books. Mm Mm-hmm. Where, like, you could sit and read... uh, You could just sit and page through these huge books fat with lore. Yes. About a particular game. Uh, I mean, a Warcraft 2 source book, or a manual, was basically a mini-RPG source book. Mm Mm-hmm. It was so good, because it had massive, like, pages of background for all of the factions, like, extremely in-depth, lore-heavy descriptions of all the all of the clans, all of the characters, how the, all the nations interact with one another. As, like, a 13-year-old, I just ate that stuff up. Yeah, they, they have those now, but they call them
1: special editions, and they charge them, like, $900 for them.
0: Yeah, but special when special editions come out, like, often the stuff that comes with them are not that great. True. Kind of cheap. Whereas,
1: as you said, a lot of feelies back in the day, in my day, they were of much higher quality.
0: I mean, this podcast should just be called Back in My Day. Get (laughs) off my lawn. Get off Back in My Day, subtext. Get off my lawn. Let's uh, let's all yell at clouds. (laughs) I do every day. Your typical, so I'm looking at the Monster Hunter World Special Edition, Mm -hmm. and that came with, like, a statue. They all come with stupid statues. They do. Like, I have room for that shit. Yeah, I definitely don't have room for that, and I would actually be a little embarrassed to display it.
1: <laughs> My, I have a big daddy BioWare uh, Bioshock statue, and it's it's falling apart.
0: Really? Yeah. I mean, it's probably a lot of the stuff is kind of cheaply made. It really is, unfortunately. I mean, what? Well, I, I suppose games like Call of Duty like would give you night vision goggles for no reason. What the hell am I going to do with those? People were very excited about that. Oh, my God, tactical gear and Call of Duty.
1: For what? For when you go in your backyard to pee? I don't understand. Yeah. Okay. I mean,
0: to play soldier. I don't know.
1: That's kind of cute, actually.
0: If anything, it's actually kind of annoying that I get a lot of this uh, crap in the mail from (laughs) publishers. Publishers, stop sending me this stuff. (laughs) There was actually a
1: quick diversion. There was the time that you and I were recording a podcast and someone was at the door, so you left to to go answer it. And as you... I started hearing the Street Fighter theme or Guile's theme, like, coming in closer and closer and closer. And you come to the camera, and you open up this thing of, like, some Street Fighter crap, and it's playing, like, Guile's theme, and it's full of, like, Red Bulls or something, and I just died. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was a Red Bull box. Yes. That had the Street Fighter menu uh, in the background with the map and everything. Yeah. And you open it up, it played the street. It's... Played the theme from Ken's stage.
1: That Ken stage, that was it. It was great. I'm like, what the heck? Am I Why am I hearing Ken's theme? Am I going insane?
0: I, g- I gave it to a friend of mine who's a huge Street Fighter fan, and he actually appreciated it. Yeah,
1: he must have loved it.
0: Okay, this is the last one. Maybe this is kind of a broad one, Nadia. Mm-hmm. By the way, I think it's funny that I was just talking about how much I miss feelies and then just complained about all the swag that I get. <laughs> we miss high-quality I miss feelies. cool old cloth maps. Yes. And manuals giant fat manuals yes
1: yeah, stuff that can take up sensible room not stupid room
0: all right number five this is kind of a broader one i feel like rpgs have kind of lost the need for constant experimentation and the desire to go big
1: yeah uh that's this kind of happened lately hasn't it
0: you are currently playing dragon quest 11 yes a game that is very steeped in nostalgia. It is yes. built around nostalgia. I don't have to have played the game to know that because the developers told me them themselves. Yes. What happened to the ambition, Nadia? Uh,
1: I'm not going to hold it against Dragon Quest XI because uh, we No, talked... hold it against it. No, I don't want to hold it against it.
0: Okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, you're a Dragon Quest fan, so you're going to not hold anything against it?
1: Probably not. But uh, no, honestly, though, it's... Uh... I can't really blame them for it. They set out to 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 be nostalgic and also uh we've talked in the past about how they have to capture you know the old audience as well as the new audience. But as for the ambition, you know that doesn't really mean Dragon Quest 11 isn't an ambitious game. I, I can't really get more into it. Uh, it is certainly big and and uh just very impressive in that regard. but as for experimentation, going places people didn't think to go back in the day. Maybe people ran out of ideas, which is a stupid thing to say, but uh, with games getting just bigger and budgets getting bigger, and um, maybe people, developers are, are kind of afraid to innovate, and it's kind of the same old story. The same story's been for a long time, but that doesn't really mean that there's no innovation. I mean, look how many people latched onto Nier, and that was a weird-ass game.
0: I was talking to Larian the other day, Larian, of who made Divinity Original Sin 2, Mm-hmm. And a, in a couple of weeks, Divinity: Original Sin Two Enhanced Edition will be coming out on the PS4 and PS4 and Xbox One. And I was like, "Well, I mean, you've had a lot of success of late. I mean, you've become more than a cult hit. You've become kind of a breakout hit. And that maybe this is your chance to go to the next level." And they're like, "We're wary of going to the next level because mm. as soon as you go to the where, to the next level." You can't help you have to go mainstream and then you lose a lot of what made you right. great in the first place. Right. And perhaps that's where we are. Maybe games are just too expensive to innovate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but then you have the uh the smaller in uh, developers and smaller projects who are still doing things like uh uh I know Octopath Traveler isn't, you know, very unique next to say Bravely Default, but it's still quite different from any other RPG on the Switch right now.
0: I think that what I miss is so he, uh, Retronauts did a big Final Fantasy VII retrospective, and it's mm. not out yet. It's probably not going to be out for several months. But when we were talking about that, I was, so I just keep thinking about how big and crazy and twisting, like the sheer scope of it, and this ties into the overworld thing too. RPGs don't seem to have the same scope that they used to. And maybe you can't do it. Maybe you can't do it now. Maybe like it's too hard to make these incredible visuals and maintain scope. Witcher Three is one of the few games to actually really do that. Right, right. Um, I mean, I've even also... a game like Fallout, in a way, almost feels small. It, it's hard to it's hard to describe.
1: I'm just thinking about how um, I don't want to say this is this is the case, but I, I kind of feel it in the back of my heart. Maybe the time for innovation is just maybe all the good ideas all good ideas are used up. Like,
0: I just when... don't believe that. I mean, I think it's just. The stakes are so high, developers are not willing to risk alienating the mainstream.
1: Well, there's definitely that, too. but I was just thinking about how, when I read stuff about Chrono Trigger, and it was like, wow, you, no random encounters? That's insane! That kind of thing is just, like, these huge surprises. You don't get those as much anymore.
0: I mean, I know that there's innovation to be found. It's just, maybe we have, maybe we have codified gameplay systems and figured things out to a great extent that make people happy, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, are we ever going go to get a Xenogears, a game that is big and crazy and is a sweep, of, like a historical sweep that's like thousands of years and is broken and unfinished, but also amazing? <laughs> I don't know. No, there was a, there was definitely that age
1: of experimentation in RPGs in the 32-bit era, and again, get off my lawn, but uh, it was it was a really interesting time to be an RPG fan.
0: Maybe indie developers. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I look. If there's hope. There's always in the. It's in the indie developers. a little. If
0: anything, I mean, uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance uh, certainly have some qualms with that one. But yeah. I mean, you could argue that it was daring.
1: Yeah it uh, it it had a it had a goal. Whether you know you agreed with that goal or not, or whether you liked it or not, um, it it did it.
0: Anyway, I, I feel like this is a thing that hits across all. Uh, all different genres, not just the RPG genre. Yeah, that's true as well. But as, as I'm doing this top twenty-five RPG countdown, I just think about games like Vampire: The Masquerade, mm-hmm. which wanted to do so dang much, you know. Yeah. Landscape Torment, which wanted to do so dang much. Yeah. Even Fallout, Fallout One or Fallout Two compared to Fallout Four. Right. Uh, it's just so much. There's so much more going on. You could feel the burning passion of the developers. And maybe, like, I don't think developers are any less passionate now. I just think their hands are tied. Yeah.
1: Uh, game development is probably a lot more corporate now, that's for sure.
0: It's more corporate and it's harder. Yeah,
1: definitely hard. Like, look how long it took for everyone to really kind of settle into that, just the HD visuals alone.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot more tools than they used to be mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the engines, in terms of all the things that you can build. I think about, we were talking about Diablo 2 on this show last week, and I think about when they were talking about crafting assets from, from hand. Wow. Like hand crafting levels. Yeah. And that's just insane to think about now. Yeah, yeah. But games are correspondingly much more, I don't know, from a visual standpoint, much more complicated. hmm Anyway, so that's our five things that we miss the most from old school RPGs. What do you miss the most from old school RPGs? I really want to know. Uh, Share at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or uh, leave a comment in our show notes on the site. We read from those show notes and from those emails every week on the show. And thanks to Eric Miller for the idea. All right, Nadia, time as always to do our mailbag. And last week we talked about Diablo 2. And here are what people had to say. I mean, I feel like the people who came in to talk about Diablo 2 really freaking love Diablo 2, Nadia. <laughs> they love that game in the same way that you love Earthbound.
1: That's a lot of love.
0: That is a lot of way to love. Uh, Max Bebo, we're left very long. Uh, message about diablo 2 but apparently they were heavily involved on the diablo 2.net forums back in the day beautiful and they said i know many people are still running the game today i know people who have beaten hell difficulty with all seven classes in every version of the game 1.07 through 1.14 who have found who have self-found every single set and unique item in the game who have made every single ruin word. Many of the ruins have less than 1 in 10 billion chance of dropping from Hell Difficulty levels. Oh my god. I've been in Hell Difficulty 10 times and have never seen 10 to 15 of them. If you bought the game back in 2000, Blizzard still honors those CD keys and they have updated the installer's launchers to work with the, the newer OS hardware. The latest patch came out in 2016, 15 years after Lords of Destruction's release. That's expansion. Wow. And then they have a whole bunch of other random fun memories about cow level farming and multiple shot lightning enchanted monsters. It's a pretty crazy part, uh, thing. So go go read that. Don't you love good old memories?
1: Oh, I have tons of good old memories of the old days and the the Geo City sites and the the back when you you know convened on message boards because social media wasn't a thing. And all you all hate each other cloud?
0: there. I'm going to yell at you now.
1: <laughs> Get out of my site cloud.
0: Nice Guy you. Neon says, Diablo 2 was my first RPG love. I wasn't particularly knowledgeable in games back in the day. Rescuing a, a hostage by yeah. so my first RPG was Quest 64. Oh, it dear. was okay, but it wasn't exactly a convincing way to hook a kid on RPGs. Diablo 2 changed that for me overnight. I would play solo, online with my friends. Sometimes I would head to a computer cafe to play with my friends after school just so we could talk about Diablo 2 while playing Diablo 2. And my uncle would, at the time, come over almost daily to play on my computer, and I would sit next to him and watch him play for hours. He ran a Barbarian, I ran a Paladin, and it was basically a different experience. I'd eventually (laughs) play with every character, including the Assassin and the Druid. Diablo II helped me bring me to RPGs in a way that a mediocre game like Quest 64 couldn't, or in a way that a game like Pokemon couldn't either, since I left handhelds for like 15 years after Pokemon. But Diablo II's impact always stuck with me. It informed my expectations... It became a standard by which I judge my experience with almost every game I played. It was good stuff. And Matcom26 says, Growing up in a somewhat conservative household, the cover art alone would have made the original Diablo out of the question, let alone I the bet. name being Spanish for devil. Mm-hmm. What could right have been there. more illicit? Just imagine that conversation of a mid-'90s weekend. Mom, can I stay home from to church today to play <laughs> devil? <laughs> Yes, son, of course you can. This episode has reminded me I should really go back and fill in that blank spot, though. It's funny that they mentioned that, because it brings me back. So I grew up in a fairly conservative neighborhood, and a lot of my friends were very religious. And Mm -hmm. I had a friend who... uh, We used to play Warcraft 2 together. uh, Right. But their dad got them to throw away the CD. Because it had uh, devils in it. And you know what game... Uh, he was allowed to buy instead moses
1: was oh, the fun conquer. Part. oh well that's okay guns are patriotic there it's all guns right.
0: and military patriotic uh, religion or so devils and fantasy stuff no it's total no. it's uh, so. it's just that kind of thing is so foreign to me cuz i grew
1: up jewish and all my friends were jewish and we already knew that demons walk the earth like mm-hmm. many of us were descendants of holocaust survivors so it's like oh demons on a on in a game big
0: deal <laughs> they're fairy tales yeah uh i i remember seeing i i I remember watching the trailers for the games that were upcoming on blizzard's discs um i think warcraft 2 had it on their disc a trailer for diablo 2 along with a couple other games that ultimately never came out Mm -hmm. and i remember looking at diablo 1 and thinking what the hell is this game (laughs) Because it was just, like, some <laughs> devil imagery, there was a church or something, it did not tell you anything about this game, it just said Diablo. And I was like, yeah. okay. <laughs> the,
1: first time I I actually, the first time I actually saw Diablo was actually in my high school, kids used to play it on our, like, old crusty Macs.
0: First time I really heard about Diablo 2 was when Diablo, or, first time I really heard about Diablo was when Diablo 2 came out. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of my friends were playing Diablo 2 all of a sudden, and so that was when it kind of entered my life. I had kind of known of Diablo, but I didn't really know what it was until I watched my friends go click, 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 right? Click. Loot, and loot, I was loot, like, loot, why loot. is this game fun to you? It looks boring. <laughs> now you know. Axe of Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitch, or wherever podcasts are So. Please rate and subscribe. Please leave us a review if you enjoy the podcast. We always enjoy reading your reviews. Uh, We are in the midst of the Top 25 RPG Countdown. And if you want to be able to read the companion pieces, go check them out on the site. You can find them all together on the Top 25 RPG Count archives if you search for that. Um... And also, uh, we link to previous entries in every article. But yeah, we have companion pieces for all of them. Nadia, we're going to Pax West soon. We are. I'm very excited. I've never been to a Pax. Uh, this is our first time going to a Pax?
1: This is my first time. Like, you didn't know? Yeah, I've never been to Pax.
0: You go to Otacon, but you've never been to Pax. Yeah, but uh, Otacon doesn't sell out in five seconds the way Pax does. Well, you're going to have a good time, Nadia. I think so. We're going to have two panels. One of them is going to be Axe the Blood God Presents. Mass Effect, yes, and the other one is going to be the Changing Face of Game Journalism, which is going to have the entire US Gamer team plus Matt Martin from VG Twenty Four Seven. We're going to be talking, we're going to be sharing war stories, talking about how we got into the industry, and talking about how everything has changed.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, the
0: Blood God panel for Mass Effect is at five PM and, and on Saturday, and the Gerrant Game Journalism panel is uh, at five PM on Sunday. So it's relatively easy to remember. We're hosting a giveaway for PAX West tickets, by the way, over on the website, so you can go uh, figure out how to enter that if you don't have passes yet. And one more thing, I'm going to be on Kind of Funny's Superman panel on Friday at 3pm, uh, along with Corey Barlog, and yeah, so I guess going to be talking to the God of War guy, the, the toast of the industry about Superman. <laughs> That'll be really, really interesting, actually. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun panel. I can't yeah. wait. It's going to be a full house i know that much no definitely yes so Don't get stage right that's in a couple weeks come say hi to us at pax we're in the process of planning a meetup i will have also details on that as well we'd love to come see you just come meet the us gamer team and people from your euro gamer vg 247 as well okay uh, we'll be back next week till next time happy adventuring